The nationalistic fervor which swept through Germany at the start of the First World War inspired many young artists to enlist. But their enthusiasm for the war couldn't survive the reality of the battlefield. There were many who died in the trenches. Those that survived had their ideas about art and their role as artists fundamentally challenged by their experience of war. Among the young artists who volunteered was Otto Griebel. He served four years as a soldier, but near the end of the war was court-martialed and imprisoned for his part in a mutiny. Otto Dix was also a volunteer. He served four years as a machine gunner in the trenches of Flanders and Russia. This experience influenced his paintings for years after the war was over. Georg Grass was discharged from the army after a history of physical and psychiatric disorders. His infatuation with America caused him to anglicize his name to George Gross. He would shock Berlin's cafe society by posing as a merchant from Holland, making his business fortune out of the war. Helmut Herzfelder was also discharged after faking a nervous breakdown. Although he had no connection with England and spoke not a word of English, he was so appalled at the war hysteria and the anti-English propaganda that he changed his name by deed poll to John Hartfield. His younger brother, the poet Wieland Hetzfelder, was discharged from the army for insubordination and declared unworthy to wear the Kaiser's uniform. Together, Hetzfelder, Hartfield and Gross formed the publishing house Malik Verlag and produced an anti-war magazine, Neue Jugend. It was banned by the authorities after only a few issues. Out of a revulsion with the war and the inhumanity of the world, Dada found a receptive welcome in Berlin. Dada used total nonsense as a rationalization of the human carnage caused by war. What is German culture? Shit. The first Dada event in Berlin was held at the J.B. Neumann Gallery, with readings by Holzenbeck, Haussmann, and George Gross. Dada was the only real art movement in Germany since the turn of the century. Don't laugh. Compared with Dada, all the other isms in art became the day before yesterday's studio exercises. The German Dada movement has its roots in the sudden realization of some of us artists that it was total madness to imagine that the spirit or anything intellectual governs the world. Dada was never a planned movement. It was an organic thing. It starts as a reaction to the wandering cloud mentality of these holy artists who mused about cubes, where the commanders in the battlefield painted in blood. Dada forces people to see life in its true colors. Dada says it's all the same whether you read the sonnet of Shakespeare or you have the heels of your boots gilded or you carve a Madonna, the guns still fire. People get rich, people get hungry, people die.
What is the point of art? Isn't it the height of deceit to pretend to create things of artistic value? Aren't artists unbelievably ridiculous to take themselves so seriously when nobody else does? Today I know, and all the other founders of Dada know, that our only mistake was to have anything to do with the so-called art world. Some of us saw the real task, a committed art in the cause of the revolutionary struggle. Art is a weapon, and the artist is a fighter in the freedom struggle of the people against the bankrupt system. Many German artists, Gross, Hartfield, Herzfelder, and Piscato among them, joined the Spartacists, which later became the German Communist Party. The end of the war in Germany was followed by years of civil conflict. The Weimar Republic was formed through a coalition of over a hundred parties of the right and center. They responded to the continuing political unrest by forming the Free Corps, armed units of unemployed soldiers returning from the war, to put down demonstrations and uprising like the Spartacist revolt of 1919. Among the many thousands killed were the Spartacist leaders, Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht. Dada is political. The first Dada fair held in Berlin featured works by Dix, Hartfield, Gross and Hetzfelder, which attacked the war and derided the military. There were slogans on the walls. Dada fights on the side of the revolutionary proletariat. Dada is political. The gallery was raided by the police. So were the Malik Verlag offices. Gross and Hetzfelder were arrested and charged with insulting the armed forces. Their political art magazine, Jedemann sein eigener Fußball, was banned after its first issue. They continued their attack on the military and the bourgeoisie with Die Pleiter, and de Gegner. Their collaborators included Rudolf Schlichter and Otto Dix. These artists and writers were united in their belief in art as a political weapon. Based at the Dresden Academy of Art, Dix soon began to move away from Dada towards a more socially critical form of realism. In recent years, many artists have been shouting the slogan, create new forms of expression. Whether that's at all possible seems to me to be very doubtful. When you are standing in front of the paintings of the old masters and really study them, I'm sure you would agree. For me, the new in painting lies in developing what already exists in essence in the works of the masters. For me, at any rate, the object is primary and the form of the painting emerges through the object. So the most important thing for me has always been that I'm getting close to the thing I see. More important than the how for me is the what. Only out of the what can emerge the how. 
During the 1920s, Dresden rivaled Berlin as a focus for socially committed artists. The group based at the Dresden Academy was strongly influenced by the painting and teaching of Otto Dix. Among this group were Otto Griebel, Fritz Skader, Wilhelm Lachnit, Lea Lange, and her future husband, Hans Grundig. To show the worker in the factory, the child, the tree, a garden, a piss house, a young girl in a poor rented apartment. That's how it should be. Any art that does not come out from the working class view of the world is worthless and superficial. The painters of yesterday with their shattered individualism has become a thing of the past. We have to master different things and not at least to free ourselves from the economic dependence on the bourgeois art market and the bourgeois art critics. That the artist should see poverty and misery today is inevitable. We are not blind. I painted Jugend in der Großstadt, youth in the city. It was during the worst years of mass unemployment during the depression of the Weimar Republic. The picture is painted in shades of grey and since a painter is also a dreamer and a poet, it's a poetic appeal which draws wonderful possibilities out of the grey reality. Otto Nagel was born and brought up in the working-class district of Wedding in Berlin. With Piscator, he became secretary to the IAH, the Artists' Aid for Russia campaign. This resulted in close links being established with the artists and art movements of Russia. Several German artists, including Nagel and George Gross, spent long periods in Russia in the 20s. In turn, many Russian artists, Mayakovsky, Malievich, and Eldesitsky amongst them, worked and exhibited in Germany. I've seen a lot of poverty and suffering. In fact, I experience it every day. Here in Wedding in Berlin where I live, things have always been pretty dismal. The workers set off at four, five, six in the morning with their rucksacks on their backs and their caps pulled down over the faces. They never get enough sleep. It was no different in our family. Even when we were all working, my mother only had about seven marks a week for housekeeping. It was never enough. We never once had goose for Christmas. I never even knew what it was. But that's not so important. The important thing is that I know all this myself. The hunger, the misery, 
the hardship. And I wanted to fight against it through my paintings. Sometimes I felt like screaming, screaming out and begging for help. But who was there to help? My father, he was a good old social democrat. He used to say to me, yes, we must change the world, but we must do it ourselves. And then there will be no more hunger. The Red Group of Communist Artists was formed in Berlin with Gross as chairman and Hartfield as secretary. The members included Fichte, Nagel, Dix and Otto Griebel. At the first Universal Art Exhibition in Moscow, there was a special section devoted to the work of the Red Group. The Malik Verlag was beginning to publish the novels of writers such as Maxim Gorky and Upton Sinclair, which featured the photomontage of John Hartfield and the drawings of George Gross. After his early involvement with Dada, Gross had begun to develop a more representational form of painting, which he called Verism. The Verist holds a mirror up to the ugly snouts of his contemporaries. I have always drawn and painted out of a spirit of confrontation and tried to show the world through my work that it is hideous, sick and dishonest. It's the historical and the revolutionary duty of a communist artist to unmask without mercy the bourgeoisie and their system. To make it clear and comprehensible so that everyone can see it for what it is, the destroyer of all happiness, justice and freedom, the bloodsucker of the life today and, and the murderer of the future for generations to come to help the worker to understand his oppression and suffering, to help him to recognize his poverty and servitude, to awaken his self-awareness, to prepare him for the class struggle. This is the purpose of art and I serve this purpose. I project an absolutely realistic picture of the world. I want to be understood by the man in the street.
It was in about 1920-21 that I did my first socially critical work. I had realized that I couldn't do anything except try to expose with as much honesty as I could the awful truth of this society. This system which exploits the poor and never gives them a chance to experience the joys of life and to see the light of the sun. I wanted my work to be an accusation. I wanted to use my pictures to help those people I had grown up with, the people I live with, and support them in their struggle for a better life. I honestly didn't enjoy it, painting people who were exploited. But art isn't done just for fun. It's not just for decorating the wall. It should cry out, accuse, inspire. I once showed my rather large painting, The Lovers, at the summer exhibition of the Dresden Academy. Now I could have painted a very lyrical painting showing the beauty of the summer landscape of the River Elbe in all its glory. If I was lucky, it would show it just the way it is. That wasn't the point, though. It was still a very truthful painting because it showed two young people how they were abandoned by society and how their needs were exaggerated by unemployment and inflation. At the time, the sexual question was discussed everywhere. It wasn't just discussed in this sense as a problem linked to class struggle or to the struggle for a new morality. It was also important because of the terrible need and poverty which drove so many women and girls into prostitution. The picture caused a storm of indignation. The entire bourgeois and petit bourgeois press wrote about me as if I was the lowest of the low. Just look at this. It's an extract from the Dresden News of 1925. His mental faculties seemed to be those of a dim-witted factory worker, although, of course, not all of them are so. Class hatred during the week and so-called love on Sunday. As far as such base, sexuality can be called love. Grundig wants to make it clear that this painting is a mirror of the artist's soul. Yes, but my painting was more than just a mirror of my artistic soul. It was also an expression of my feelings about bourgeois class domination, which leaves so many young people floundering in filth and misery. But these hypocrites didn't want to know anything about that. What's more, the Academy wrote me a furious letter informing me that 60 honorable members had immediately resigned. Art must be brought to the people. We've always thought that there isn't much interest there. And I suppose it's true that many people are not moved even by the most beautiful or the greatest art. So artists shouldn't be surprised if they are rejected themselves. But 
then there is a growing audience who are becoming more aware and more responsive to art, especially young people, young workers. For example, a group of us put on an exhibition in some of Berlin's department stores. The point is that art, which is meant for a working class audience, should be shown to them in places where they would normally go. And department stores are a good start. We only had paintings which we felt people could understand and relate to. And over 160,000 people saw the four exhibitions altogether. Well, that's a lot more than you'd ever get into a Berlin art gallery for an exhibition. These paintings don't want to follow in the steps of the bourgeois aesthetic swindle. They want to be working class. They want to be class conscious and radical. But the reality is that this art, like any other, is dependent on the changing fashions and tastes of the bourgeois art market. And the bourgeois art dealers have given this new movement in art their own label. They call it Neue Sachlichkeit, new objectivity. The art world today is dependent on the bourgeois class and will die with it. 
He may not like the idea, but the painter is nothing more than a banknote factory or a stocks and shares machine. He's exploited by the rich and controlled by the cultural elite who use their money to speculate with art huh, for their own profit and then present it to society as being for the advancement of culture. If you try for more political commitment in your art these days, it provokes an outraged response by the art world and they reject it as art. They can accept that in the past a lot of important art has had a political tendency, but they prize it not for its politics, but for formal reasons, for its purely aesthetic value. The artist for whom the revolutionary cause of the working class isn't just an empty phrase can't get any satisfaction out of doing meaningless work or work which is only concerned with questions of forms. He must give expression to the worker struggle. He must measure his work or the value of his work in terms of social value and effectiveness, not against some vague individualistic concept of art. In the spring of 1927, I had two pictures at the Academy exhibition in Berlin. One of them, Feierabend, end of a day's work, was specially praised. Even the red flag wrote about it. So did the bourgeois papers. But I was completely dumbfounded when the owner of the factory, a Herr Kurz, turned up a few weeks later with an art dealer. Kurz wanted to buy the painting for his own private gallery. Feierabend with its pale, emaciated, exhausted, worn-out workers on their way home after a day's working in his factory. No, I had never thought I would be able to sell this painting to an individual. What I'm painting, I'm painting for a later time. I'm looking forward to a future when the workers do not leave the factories looking the way they do today. Well, with the money I could have got for the painting, I could have paid off some of our debts, but no, I would not sell it to him. There are hardly any buyers for my paintings. Occasionally I get a hundred marks for a pastel or fifty marks for a drawing, but it's never enough. But then, People like me from the working class, they can never be sure of their income. The number of unemployed is running into millions. ASSO, the German Association of Revolutionary Artists, was formed in 1928 as a union of communist artists and intellectuals. At its peak, there were thousands of members in branches throughout the whole country. 
As the political struggle between left and right became more intense, with Hitler's National Socialist Party gaining strength at every election, as the economy began to collapse and unemployment soared, local ASSO groups, such as the one formed in Dresden by Hans and Lea Grundig, became an important focus for politically active artists. It was hell here. Hmm. The strich hätte hier fester sein können, aber ich finde es sehr schön. Mm -hmm. sure. We came to realize that the effect of art on the workers in art exhibitions was more or less nil. So we tried to find some other way. We were doing wood and lino cuts for all kind of political situation. We had them printed at the workers' voice where they gave us the paper for nothing and we spent their evenings standing at the hand presses printing the wooden lino cuts in the hundreds. Then in 1930, we founded the Dresden group of the German Association of Revolutionary Artists, the so-called ASSO. Right from the beginning, we didn't just want it to be an exhibiting organization. We consciously wanted to work for the party using those artistic skills we had. Lea drew people as they lived and struggled and suffered with all their beauty and all their weaknesses. I was very busy too. There were pictures showing demonstrations, fights between workers and the police, others showing the misery of the unemployed. We both worked a great deal. Sometimes the day just wasn't long enough. And uh, we still drew caricatures on stencils for the party papers, those like the Gardine in Döbritz and many, many other papers in Dresden. And there was always a lot of party work for our cell, which was about 50 strong, including a whole group of painters. We must have walked many, many kilometers with the banners that we made and painted. They used to hang around the walls like tapeworms, some of them more than 20 meters long. On the 1st of May in 1929, we went to a demonstration at Alexanderplatz. All of a sudden, huge lorries started driving right into the crowd. Police sprung out and started beating people with rubber batons. It was the first time in my life I had ever been hit. Well, people ran in every direction, into doorways, into open shops. Some, though, ran into a pub where there happened to be an exhibition of my work. And so, a lot of our comrades were saved from falling into the hands of the police by my work. Either the pictures I paint are good, honest and true to our cause, in which case they can hardly be hung in some bourgeois art salon, or a time will come when they will be shown in our museums, as a reminder of these terrible times, to help to prevent such misery and injustice ever coming again. Thank you.
choose his subjects for your paintings. Go to a workers' meeting and see how people there, human beings like yourselves, are discussing minute improvements for their lives. And you have to understand that it's these people who are working on the reorganization of the world, not you. But you can take part in the organization, in the building of this organization. Throw away your individualism, get out of your studios, however hard it is. And try to understand the ideas of the working people and help them in their struggle against a rotten society. Eighteen days before Hitler came to power, George Gross, under threat from the SS, fled to the United States. 285 of his works were confiscated and denounced as degenerate, and he was deprived of his German citizenship. After the Reichstag fire in April 1933, the German Communist Party was outlawed and its members arrested. These included Otto Nagel, Otto Griebel, and Hans and Leah Grundig. Each of them subsequently spent several years in concentration camps. Hartfield and Hetzfelder fled to Prague after their house was seized by the SS. But they continued to publish and attack the Nazis from there until they were later forced to escape to London. Otto Dix was dismissed from the Dresden Academy. He was forbidden to exhibit or to work as an artist and was later arrested. produced by these artists during the period of the Weimar Republic was denounced by the Nazis as degenerate and featured in a series of exhibitions which culminated in Munich in 1937.